we've done we've done our twenty odd podcast now. We'll just get into it. Actually, John, this is episode twenty three. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna roll right into welcoming everybody to this episode. Good. As said, episode twenty three with me. No, let's start with Go. you, John Wenger. Hello. Hello. And me, Rohi Nord. Hello. Just the two of us now. Mm-hmm. No high-profile guests. And, uh, well, no high-profile guests. Full stop. And uh, I was going to say, uh, and interesting topics and conversation, but we're going to have those anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this week, I, I, I wrote a blog post. Yay, for me. Um, and it's called the gardening metaphor for your corporate culture and it's something that we um, kind of um, uh, visited over the well over the past episodes where we needed some sort of metaphor or an example of how to deal with people uh, within a business within a corporation and uh, at some point you write things down and then you go like this should be a blog post Mm. and so I've written it Um, I have personally not a lot of experience with gardening although my wife does Uh, plugging here we yeah so and so dot com is the website of my wife and she writes a lot about um, gardening and uh, a little bit of homesteading and those kind of things. And so, uh, uh, how, how do you call that? Um, by, don't know. Anyway, because she does it a lot, I know about it mm. quite a bit. It's just Your that... Bios, biosmosis, you pick things up. I yeah. think you probably know more about it than you're giving yourself credit. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. The only difference is that I don't get my hands dirty that much, and uh, my wife does. So that's that's kind of the big difference. And when you start thinking about it, there are a lot of similarities between the uh, the way you deal with people, or you should deal with people, mm. and um, the way uh, you deal with. Uh, a garden plants mm-hmm. and we're talking mm-hmm. about a vegetable garden we're talking not talking about a yard with some grass in it we're talking about a uh, a garden with uh, a good variety of um, um, uh, species uh, for food for vegetables fruits uh, those kind of things but also flowers and those kind of things so i was writing it up it's what complements you know which ones complement which ones go well together which ones help each other which ones you probably would put next to each other all that sort of stuff is really important oh, yes yes, so yes, on, yes. Like, uh, the reason i find this metaphor attractive and when i read your, your post i went at last you've done it because <laughs> <laughs> um, because there are so many um uh, sort of parallels with what goes on in in a, an organization in in a business in a corporation um, the kind of the complexity that goes on in in growing a, a really good garden. Um, so it's I think it's quite a nice topic to to use um, with regards to a lot of the, um, the the issues that we try and address. It is funny how you when you start writing things down how many parallels you can find. Yeah. yeah. If you uh, 
uh, well, if you use A, your imagination a little bit and B, uh, be open-minded a little bit. And um, it's, it's almost literal, literally from growing something from a seed to uh, uh, harvesting all its um, uh, goodness and usefulness. Mm. And uh, obviously, we don't eat our employees. That would be weird and wrong and I think also illegal. But um, at some point, you reap what you sow, right? And, and that's something that we do all the time, right? We, we, people do that continuously. Mm. I mean, every interaction that you have with another human can potentially be something where you reap some benefits from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, just by being nice to somebody else uh, can very well turn that person doing something nice for you. Uh, you can almost... Uh, uh, you know, put a wager on it that if you treat somebody horribly and you want something from them, you're not going to get it. Yeah, as a general rule, I think that's the case. And, you know, that's the, there's a parallel there with seeds. And I think also that the other parallel is that, I mean, you make this point, I think, in your, in your, in your article that, um, you know, no two seeds are alike. You've got different types of plants and different species and, and, and strains require different sorts of treatment. So, you know, thinking about somebody joining an organization, um, to, to take a, a cookie cutter approach and say this is the induction certainly there's probably some information that people need that as a sort of a basic to introduce them to the organization but to then kind of continue to treat people all the same I think is like tr- trying to treat all seeds the same um, different seeds need different types of conditions they de- need planting at different types of the year absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah different soil uh, yeah. Uh, different uh, forms of uh, uh, fertilizing. Uh, in some cases, you even have to take uh, uh, pH values into consideration. Mm. Um, mm. Even watering. I mean, we've got tomatoes, tomatoes, and uh, tomato, 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 tomato. <laughs> and um, you know, you can't or you should not water them on the leaves, right? You just mm. you you should water their roots plentiful but don't just hose them down uh, on the leaves they just don't like it it's something that you need to know mm. uh, the plant next to it no problem you can hose it as much as you like you know and um, but these kind of things you need to know and you cannot just use a generalized sprinkler system in our polytunnel and just turn it on and then expect all the plants to react the same to it mm. it doesn't work that way Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I know that um, many companies, and especially HR, uh, would like a, a monoculture, you know, where employees... It's easy. It's, it, easy. I mean, it's easy, it's controllable, it's predictable, right? Yeah. I mean, and the profiles that they set up to, uh, to, to lure or to hire people... Um, usually tend to, you know, reflect that. I'm not saying that all companies do it. Obviously, they don't. Mm. But I'm sure that, and I know that from experience too, that they would prefer us to all look similar and act similar. I mean, that way that if they have to, uh, uh, you know, get you on a project or somewhere, 
they don't have to worry about your personality because it's there. You know, they know exactly what they're going to expect from you because that's how they trained and that's how they shaped you. And the problem with that is uh, that people don't work that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes also, we, as we know from many of the conversations, it comes out of an industrial way of looking at workplaces. And, um, hmm. yeah, I mean... It, it asset, does, asset, does, asset, asset management. Yeah, yeah, asset management, yeah, resource management. Um, it doesn't take account of people's strengths and individuality and preferences. And, um, you know, I think, I think you, when, you, when you ask people to... Um, consider people as individuals and what their preferences are and how they like to work and what their strengths are and where they fit best and who they, who they work best with. Um, you challenge the assumptions that there are two types of people or three types of people or eight types of people yeah. or, and trying to put them in. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's important to have a, a number of those sorts of ways of looking at folks, um, but to look at them through various lenses, not get stuck on one lens, like this is the way that the company organizes people and we classify people in eight, eight different ways or whatever, or th there are three types of leader, or um, to, to use a variety of lenses and not to get too attached. You know, they're, they're meant to be purely descriptive and not entirely, de you know, accurately descriptive, not prescriptive. And not definitive. And not definitive. Um, and I think that it, it is easy to think that you can put people in, in certain classifications and do a certain set of psychometrics and therefore this person needs to do this sort of work and work in this sort of way with these sorts of people. But um, sadly, it's not always going to be um, correct for them or for the business or, um, or for yourself if you're kind of um, looking at people in that way. It's, it's the, it, you know, in, in my many conversations with people who have direct reports, it's the biggest challenge Understanding people, <laughs> you but, know, but that's also what, what is, is people tick. Yeah, is, isn't that also like where you go to? I mean, who need to deal with people? You talk about managers and you talk about HR. Those are the the people managers of a company in general. And uh, but the skill, I mean, I never understood. And I, I don't want to insult anybody who works in HR, but I never really understood the big deal of working within HR. I mean, how difficult can it be? And you have these profiles that you have to type up. Now, okay, well, there's, there's a certain gathering of information from managers in order to create a profile. Sure. And, and then you have all these tests that people do and those graphs and diagrams and and, and those kind of things, and in order to determine what kind of person you are. And I mm. think that's where the, uh, the difficulty comes from, where you have a, um, uh, the skill level needed to deal with all sorts of people, with a variety, with with the huge variety of people that you get if you if you have a company with 200 people. You have... 200 different people mm. you don't have four kinds of people mm. or five yeah. kinds of people you have exactly. 200 different people exactly and and each and every one will react differently to a certain piece of information or to mm. a certain you know have a different reaction to a certain action but if i ask somebody what how you react to this certain information the scary bit is then what do i have what do i do with all that exactly so yeah. it wouldn't i mean that would make it 
on one hand very exciting, but on the other hand very difficult for an uh, uh, an HR department, for instance, yeah. or a manager to know how to deal with all these. I mean, if I take the complexity of of creating a garden, a vegetable a veg plot, a vegetable garden, mm. um, it takes years to to develop a certain routine and that yields the best produce mm, mm. right it's not something you can even if you have a book and even if you read a lot and even if you watch a lot of videos and all those kind of things you're still left with a certain chance a certain weather a certain this and a certain that you have to learn about the local environment for instance mm, mm. i mean you can have all the theory in the world but if you adapt it to a certain environment it doesn't work you have to mm. adapt it to that specific environment for it to work mm. um, and all those things and so i can imagine that the complexity of dealing with these people with with people in general um well is complex i mean it's not Mm-mm. i mean i wrote it down i mean i you know but still I mean, I, I also come back a lot to the what you've just sort of touched on is the environment. I, I mean, I think there are certain things that that are more manageable than people, and that is the environment. You know, a big conversation I was doing some work yesterday, and a big conversation was about the 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 actual physical environment, the space in which people are working, and everybody got interested in how they might redesign, reconfigure things so that the thing that they want, which is better collaboration, and they want to be able to to um, consult with each other on their on their work much more easily, um, that the physical environment is in some way hindering that. So they want to take down some partitions and they want to reconfigure where the desks are facing. And some people are louder on the phone and they want those people <laughs> to sit further away and they go, fair enough, I have, I'm no, happy to do that. No, further away. No, further away. I need to work in a bit more of a quiet environment, so I'll I'll be down this end of the space. You know that to involve them and have that conversation, that's more manageable rather because of the frustrations that come up if we try and manage each other. Again, you know, I I'm thinking that this sort of classifying people is not just about HR and people managers; it's about everybody because we all have to encounter each other. Rather than have to manage our frustrations and manage the other people, let's configure an environment as a starting point that will be most conducive as as the beginning you know i'm thinking again with the, with gardening there's the environment that you've got to be attentive to you don't just chuck a bunch of seeds in the soil you know what's the climate like what's the ph of the soil um all those sorts of things i think are far far um more in our hands of what we can do something about than trying to get somebody else to change their behavior or slot them into a box and try and aim for some uniformity or conformity. Um, the, starting, the, starting with the big picture, I think, is what I'm suggesting. The, um, uh, the, 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 the journey of uh, a single pepper that we have, we mm. have several, mm. but uh, if you, it starts with a seed. Mm. The, so we get um, uh, seeding soil, right? Which is mm. really kind of it's really what, what is it? Is it really rich or it's really poor in nutrients? I don't know exactly, but it's and it's very loose. So a seedling mm. can can easily. So we do that in a propagator, a heated propagator, mm. 
And until it comes up at a certain size, then we put it in something else, a little bigger container, have it grown inside in the house uh, because we have a long season for pepper. So we have to start growing them really early, but we can't put them outside yet because it's too cold yet. So it mm. grows up and then we put it in the bigger pot and eventually it'll go into the polytunnel where it can grow to its heart's content. And uh, so, yeah, the environment um, is something that is throughout its life of the of the plant uh, almost the most important thing uh, there mm -hmm. is mm. because and, yeah, an indicator of success or failure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're in a in a working environment, and for me, for instance, one of my experiences is that I was working. Um, and you know the work itself, most of the time, was something that you, you know you had to kind of you had to focus. And uh, I was um, just outside of the project floor because there were a lot of people. So I was on a uh, outside that wall, the glass wall. I was on a table with seven other people. So there was like four desks, four desks, and behind me was the uh, service desk. Mm. And that was like also eight on a row, but that was like, I think, three or four rows deep. And several uh, languages, you know, languages were other, but almost all of those people were on the phone continuously. Mm -hmm. So you have that that wall of noise coming over you like mm -hmm. the whole day through. And uh, it just doesn't really help with productivity. And I mean, how many examples can you come up with where the environment is a hindrance to your productivity? Mm. I mean, almost everybody ever who has worked in any office can name something that is just not working out for them. Mm -hmm. So if you have... Uh, if you can create a vis physical environment where the, where that you know is sorted, where it's just I don't necessarily make it like custom made to per person, which is something that contradicts what we said earlier, right? Mm. Because you cannot create a physical environment custom made for two hundred people. That's not going to happen. No, that's true. And but you can come. You can meet them halfway, right? You can have certain areas designated for certain behavior. And and that does work. I mean, we've seen it before. I mean, I know Microsoft in the Netherlands has it. I actually wrote a blog post about that, I think. And, um, I mean, they did it pretty well. And people can find a spot where they feel comfortable and that's where they can work. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but... You know, at least there's an effort being made in order to do that. And then there's the mental uh, environment, right? Uh, but that's a little bit more trickier. I think one of the keys, though, in that is that you, it's true, you couldn't design a place that suits 200 people and consult with them on an individual level so that it works for each of them individually. But when you work, you're not going to work as an individual. On sometimes oh, you will, but working with people in groups and subgroups and, you know, working with the whole to have a consultative process like this group yesterday I was with, where as a, as a whole, they, they are able to 
realize that they're not at work on their own, that they need to, there's some give and take. So I think certainly you can go, go a long way to designing a space which is, or an, an environment that is conducive to, um, you know, to good work for the whole. But, you, but to do it, you know, to interview each person individually and say what would work best for you, then you've got 200 plans that you've got to try and mesh. Well, that shouldn't be the way ahead. I think the way ahead is to consult with groups or subgroups who might naturally work together or coalesce together. Yeah. I think that's far more doable, and I can, kind of saw it in action a little bit yesterday. And they also become aware as a group that there are some constraints. So I asked, so who designed the space? And I was told, well, the higher-ups because they deemed this is the best way of working. But they didn't consult anyone. So they're working within the constraint of some things which are now physically unmovable, like walls and you know PowerPoints and stuff. So they're working around those constraints, and they don't feel that they're being done out of an of a, of a opportunity. They're working with the constraints, and they're designing an environment which works much better for them. So that, you know, and, and I think everybody, if you're working in a group, everybody knows that you're not going to get my perfect solution. We're going to get our perfect, our shared perfect solution or our shared ideal solution. And I think that's a really good way of, of kind of going about it. But it's working, it's, it's, create, it's creating an environment which suits the people who inhabit the environment, which is again similar to your polytunnel. You create an environment which suits the inhabitants of the polytunnel. Like you say, you don't just stick a sprinkler in there because the tomato plants don't like it. Exactly. And it will, it will be detrimental. So you find a way of catering to the environmental needs in a way which maximizes every, every plant's growth and development and, you know, so you get good harvest out of them. True. Yeah. True. True. And it, it, it's so very nicely translates to how you deal with people because yeah. if you just treat people like some generic asset, and you put them in an environment which is just some generic mm. cubicle. Somebody's idea of the best way to architecturally design. Yeah, because somebody yeah. had an idea somewhere or made a paper or uh, has a great story on how this is supposed to whatever. Um, mm. Then um, it, it just, you, you don't get where you want to go. And... Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna make a point, and I kind of lost it because the dogs are barking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's just something that that just um, uh, you need the variety um, in people to come to a certain. I mean, there are very few people who work alone, right? Yeah. Who don't need anybody else within the company. There's very few people. Who have a job where they are solely that that's just the one thing that they do and they don't need anybody else. Almost everyone needs someone else in order to get their job done. To get on, yeah. And there's um, also a strong person, you know, human need, I think, to do that too. To to put somebody in isolation or to keep them in isolation, I think is of course, on, on a I mean, range of other we're a social species, so yes. we need to, uh, um, um, what is it that bees do? Uh, pollinate. We need to cross-pollinate. Yeah. And um, plants need that desperately. I mean, if we don't open the polytunnel doors and we don't let any bees or other insects in there, 
nothing's going to happen. We have no fruit because they don't get, there's no pollination. And it's the one thing that I didn't mention in the, uh, <laughs> in the blog post, actually. <laughs> and, uh, but pollination is like the most, single most important thing uh, in, in, uh, in the production of uh, anything, of any, any food, right? Of course, and if there was none, there'd be none. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's simple. If yeah. the bees are gone, we've got, Einstein but, said, I think we've we got four years left until humanity follows, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, um, but it's true. And, and, and you need that in the workplace too. I mean, you have to have room to be able to discuss ideas, to, to, to talk about things. Um, that's where I wanted to go with, with a non-physical environment, right? The, the environment where people can actually express their ideas, sure. uh, where people can uh, express concerns, mm. uh, where they can have a good conversation, where they can say, uh, let's go into the lounge area or whatever and, and have a discussion about this. Uh, again, some companies do this. I think Google has, has, has an excellent way of stimulating people's uh, uh, imagination and uh, thinking processes, but uh, also some companies really don't. I mean, some banks really want you to be very strict. That's mm. your workspace. That's your focus. That's what you do. That's mm. how you dress, and that's it. And don't deviate from the from the routine. Mm. Then again, some plants really need a strict regime, <laughs> but uh, but they all need. Um, uh, help from others. They need insects that that have to come in. So you put plants up that attract those insects in order to, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of I'm thinking as you speak. It's it's really kind of being conscious of why you do something. Like there's what you mentioned. There's sometimes there's a strict way of doing things at work, and then sometimes there's a more open and consultative way. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but it's about being really clear as to why you might use a particular process, the, the design a particular space a particular well, way, or the non-physical, the, the environment, the non-physical environment. Why would you do something like that? If you've got some good reasons to uh, deploy a particular way of, of organizing your work, th um, that's fine. But just have a really clear why. And I think also communicate to people why things are the way that they are. Mm. So they're, they're not frustrated and left wondering why they might be doing so that they consider perhaps busy work, but is in fact not busy work. It actually is part of a whole. You know, that's what I'm thinking there is that, you know, what you said in your, in your article is no one size fits all. I think that's really the central point of all of this is that there isn't a right way to do it um, apart from not being um, too stuck on um, the fact that there is a right way to do it because <laughs> there isn't. <laughs> I th no, I mean, you're always learning. I mean, yeah. you can have everything settled perfectly and then you hire somebody who just throws a wrench in the whole thing mm. and um, you have to start over again. Well, it wouldn't be that bad, but it, it would, you know, makes you think again about certain decisions that you've made or certain mm. choices that you've made. And you go like, oh, hang on, but but I haven't met somebody like him or her yet. And... I need to be able uh, to, to let that person uh, flourish in, so I have to set aside a certain area or I have to introduce that person in a certain way in order to, 
you know get the contacts in a certain way going or you know you can you can i mean there, there's so many examples that you can come up with i wanted to go back to the uh, to the to the why the, the benefits of things right mm -hmm. and um you can always have the argument like like gardening is nice and you know we have a variety of uh 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 of, of fruits and vegetables. I mean, we're still growing the garden. It's it's still not as productive as we want it to be, but that also takes time. That takes time. Yeah. But you can always also say that you know, in the Netherlands, for instance, they have these greenhouses, huge greenhouses, and they just have one thing, and they just grow, yep. I don't know, tomatoes or yep. peppers yep. or whatever it doesn't really matter because they control the environment completely yeah. and um so i mean if you do that if you control the environment completely everything the humidity the light the water um uh, the air temperature all those kind of things if you control them you can grow anything you want but you can only grow one species right and one variety are we are we also learning some stuff about the the knock on effects of doing that over time? Well, that's the problem, mm. right? Because you can have you can you can build it and you can do it and you can do all those things, and then you go like <laughs> yeah you know, but wait until I sell everything that's in here. It's gonna my profit is gonna be perfect. Mm. It's gonna be huge. I'm gonna be rich. And they go like, yeah, that's fine, and you can get the fancy car. But what does it do with the environment? That's right. Well, technically, there is no environment. Mm. There is no uh, biodiversity. Mm. There doesn't have to be any pollination, probably, or maybe they do have bees inside or whatever. And uh, But there isn't really an environment there's a laboratory yeah in which you create the perfect plant or the perfect cucumber or whatever it is you want to have perfect and and that's what you sell and nine out of ten times the tomatoes that come out of those things are just bags of water yeah yeah you know, they look like a tomato and they yeah. kind of smell like a tomato tomato but they don't taste like tomato and full disclosure I really don't like tomatoes so I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the supermarket tomato and the one that we grow here. The only difference that I would probably have is that the supermarket tomato would be less um, uh, offensive to my mouth and my taste buds than a, a good tomato. Right. But Lila had her first tomato, mm -hmm. tomato from the polytunnel on her sandwich today, mm. which is a big deal. And she's just, every time she does that, it's just like, and I, how was it? I ask. And she goes, ah, this is. I'm, I'm, so I'm mine, cool. mine are just about done. I'm so looking forward to it because I do, I do, I can tell you the difference, but not just from tomatoes, but everything else I've, I've taken. Oh, up. So we uh, had a cucumber. I know, a cucumber. There was, it, it actually tasted like something, right? I mean, Absolutely. it had structure. It had, instead of just a, a bag of, you know, with water and, but that's the difference that you get. Sure, you can do that in a controlled environment. Sure, you can get some, you know, something productive done. And sure, you can have some output. 
if you have a working floor which is completely conditioned where everybody is the same and you know exactly what you're going to get out of it and some people want that sure fine Oh, there you but go. it's again, yeah. it's taking that industrial. That I mean, it's when we clearly we can see we look around. We've industrialized our food production, yeah. and now we're beginning to see some th some of those systems in certain areas begin to break down, where we find that soils are no longer fertile, yeah. or dust bowls get created, or you know those yeah. monocultures of things yeah. aren't really the best thing in the long run. You know, law of unintended consequences is now coming to play because we've treated something which is inherently complex yeah. as if it was simple and predictable. Yeah. And I think we're seeing the beginning to see the breakdown of some of that. People beginning to worry about food production in certain areas. Absolutely, um, I, I have. Uh, we have a seed catalog. Uh, uh, a friend from America gave it to us. And in America, seed catalogs are a big thing. Mm. They come out once a year, and they're full of stories and uh, things and information, and obviously seeds. And this company, I, I can, I'll, I'll put a link up. But it's huge. I mean, it's that thick, and there's a lot of stuff in there. And then they get to the maize, to the mice, the, the mm. corn. Corn, yeah. And um, they used to have an amazing variety of mm. corn. But what they want is non-GMO, organic yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's, that's what gets into the catalog. And, mm. you know, heritage seeds mm. and those kind of things. Important stuff. I mean, the, the work they do... That should be like like government sponsored like throughout. I mean, they should just get like billions in order to do whatever it is that they do. And uh, yet, uh, obviously, they don't. Uh, obviously, they're a nuisance uh, to big corporations. Yes. I'm not going to name them. Uh, the dark language shall not be uttered here. Yes. And um, But the, the thing is that every time they research the seeds that they cultivate mm. and it gets harder and harder to find a strain of corn that has no genetically modified yeah. DNA in mm. it mm. and we're talking about heritage seeds that are not produced anywhere near uh, you know fields of corn with you know GMO corn mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even Remotely grown corns are infected by the pollination and the transportation of seeds of other corns that come from the GMOs. Their collection of uh, safe, let me call it that way, safe corn is a quarter of mm. what it was 20 years ago. Mm. And so uh, whether or not it's difficult, whether or not it's dangerous, time will tell. I mean... Who wants to know? But the fact of the matter is that you get, you know, it gets effed up. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, there's, I'm linking all of this to um, what goes on in workplaces. You know, we've kind of try, tried to treat which systems which are inherently complex as something simple. And, you know, in, in the world of agriculture, it's, it's soils becoming less fertile and, Blah blah blah. In the People in the world of business, nine. in the world of business, it's um, you know chronically low engagement scores. That all the little tricks and tips and techniques and initiatives that people are trying to do to Very tweak good. engagement, yes, they're, they're trying again. They they treat engagement as something which is isolated from everything else that goes on in the workplace. Yeah, is isolated from the why of the business. Is isolated to human well-being, and they try and treat engagement 
and massage engagement scores. And I think that's just, again, that's, an, that's, a, that's a, another parallel here with this, is that you cannot treat something which is complex as if it was simple. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, true, exactly. And, and so if we're going to address things which may be of concern, which is, I mean, they've gone to engagement because they've found ways to measure it. If you want to address it, don't try and fix engagement. Try and look at what's going on. Go for on the root cause. In, go for the root cause and look at the whole picture. Yeah. Look at the environment. Look at the relationships that people have or don't have. Yeah. Look at the purposefulness or lack of yeah. that people kind of come to work with every day. It's, it's yeah? short-term, uh, short-term stuff. I mean, po- politics, politics work the same way. Mm. I mean, they're, they're a prime example of, of just dealing with symptoms. Mm. That's all they do. Mm. They hardly ever well, saw something in the root cause because exactly. that's long-term planning. That's long-term vision, exactly. you know. And dealing with symptoms is something that you can say, "Look, I did something, woo!" Mm. Right? And and that's what they do. And, and you know, don't not deal with the long-term planning and vision uh, of of dealing with the root cause and uh, in general uh, unhappy people. Yeah. Well, you don't yes, just. That- like engagement in unhappy people is a is a symptom of something at work, and you don't yeah. work with the symptom. You you work with the the causes of this. Well, first you do some investigation and try and <laughs> look at where in the system is stuff kind of not working out right. But then you look at dealing with those causes rather than trying to fix engagement or fix. That's crazy, crazy you know? talk, John. I want I want to live a happy life. So tomorrow I'm going to wake up and and repeat 10 positive things to myself. That's the happiness industry. And if I do that yeah, enough, then true. I'll turn myself into a happy person. It doesn't take into account that my work might be unsatisfying and I have a difficult relationship at home and yeah, you know, all of that yeah, stuff. Exactly. But let's look at the causes for these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that, again, is scary and difficult. And I can, I can understand, you know, every HR person I've met, they have, a, they have really good intentions. They're lovely people and have a wonderful heart. And they're probably a little bit befuddled by and scared by some of this stuff. Like, so That's how, am I, supposed, that, how yeah. am I supposed to work with this stuff? Yeah, exactly. That's something that I wanted, a point that I tried to make earlier on, is that, um, I mean, from all the stories that you tell me and from what you do mm. and uh, what I've learned from you, which is quite a lot by now, uh, is that, you know, it's pretty complex. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, in hindsight, you go like, you're duh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's not easy. If you have a group of people, you have, if you have 10 people in, in a project, you have 10 individuals with each has their own um, idea, their own v- version. I mean, uh, Douglas Adams says, said, uh, we all create our own universe mm. simply because my point of view is never the same as your point of view. Mm. It, it, it's impossible to have the same point of view as I have because I'm sitting here, I'm looking at that, you're sitting here, you're looking at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. The only way you can have even close to the same point of view as I have is if we occupy the same space, mm. which we can never do. Which we can never do. And, you know, if I and that's just the I... visual part of it. And if I cloned myself, they wouldn't be the same person. Exactly. At, at I the mean, age of 50 they, they that would. They would. No, exactly. If you would take a carbon copy of you mm. right now at this moment, right, mm. then for that second after it's created, mm. you'd have a similar point of view. Yeah. But but if my if, but if my if my carbon copy went downstairs and had a sandwich and a cup of tea 
and I didn't. From that minute, we've become different people. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing that I think um, many HR departments and managers and, and employees, uh, I'm not sure about this. This is just speculation, but I, I think they try to uh, avoid dealing with those kind of things because they are so inherently complex and it's pretty difficult to deal with uh, a bunch of individuals and um, you know keep them all uh, or give them all the same value uh, and I, I, I think another thing we've inherited from an industrial mindset is that there's there are step one step two step three ways of dealing with things and if you look at something complex it, that's when it becomes I think a bit overwhelming and baffling for people because like, well where do I start where's step one and I think one of the one of the things that I've had Give to me a tutorial. adjust myself. Yeah, where's the tutorial? One of the things I've had to adjust myself to over many years is um, one of the just kind of working with the system, a complex system, is just is is to make an make a as good an assessment of the system, but to, then to start somewhere. And in one sense, it doesn't matter. It does matter where you start. But in one sense, it doesn't like to start somewhere because you're working with a complex system and then work with what emerges. Do something, make an intervention, do something, see what comes up and what arises. Make a next, do the next thing and respond to that. Make the next thing and respond to what comes up next. And that's what's scary as well if you've got somebody who's meant to increase productivity or increase engagement or you know, provide better employee well-being. Where do I start? That's scary too, yeah, absolutely. and um, you know, uh, HR are often um, you know they don't have much control of budget and resources and decisions that get made about things that would assist you know improving the environment or productivity. They have to go and make business cases to other people about and explain complexity and all. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a, that itself is a whole complex thing of how do we how do we just start? You know if. But again, it comes to something that you and I have talked about before. It's like, where, you, where do you train your attention? Do you train your attention on trying to control things and just pretend that they are controllable? Or do you, <laughs> do you, do you train your attention on the things over which you do have a little bit of um, uh, influence over, like environment, like um, you know, providing resources to people? You know, one of the things that came that when I read your, your article was another function of managers and HR and so on is um, you know, helping to clear out weeds, which is to kind of clear out some of the mess, some of the noise, some of the interference, yeah. so that people can kind of see a little bit clearly the people that they need to connect with and see the work and see the why and see the, the customer and see. And clearing out weeds, I think, is a nice parallel too. Um, so that people, so that, you know, like plants can kind of get on and grow. You clear out weeds clear out particularly invasive weeds yeah. so that they don't get out of control and endanger the, the plants that you do want to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Because in the end, I mean, the idea of control is, well, it's, it's, it can be a fantasy. I mean, even, yeah. I mean, the more you think you are in control, the less you really are. Or the more you think you are in control, the more you have to pay attention to the things that you are that you think you are in control over. Um, people tend to be in control or think they are in control and then uh, trust the process 
and then just uh, sit back and and watch it happen and expect mm. everything to happen all the same time every you know again and again and uh, even if you have computers they can run the same thing again and again perfectly mm. and then the hundred and second time it doesn't do it perfectly and there's no explanation as to why it does that. <laughs> That's what frustrates me about them. Well, exactly. <laughs> because in one realm of my world, I kind of think, well, there's, there's a thing which is entirely predictable, and then it does something entirely out of, you know, I, why did it do that? I didn't ask it to do that. And I think what, that's the frustration I have with, with machines, <laughs> <laughs> is when they, they pretend to be controllable, and they're not. <laughs> no. No, true. I mean, I, I, I've, I've used Windows for a long time, and uh, uh, the times that I started something up and it worked, and the next time I did exactly the same thing, didn't work. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. My point, what I wanted to make, though, by the way, is that even if you have um, a permaculture-esque environment mm-hmm. with a good variety of species of varieties of you know vegetables and fruits and flowers and all those mm-hmm. kind of things it's still a controlled environment yeah right? sure yeah and yeah. but the outcome is just i don't know more sustainable than uh, a controlled environment where you have a single uh uh, you know, a monoculture. You've made me think of that term, the Goldilocks zone, just yeah. by saying that. Yeah, right. Okay. You've got a Goldilocks environment. It's just right. It's not. It's you've 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 engineered it and controlled it, but sure, it's, it's just right, isn't it? And it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, but this goes to to where uh, uh, you know managing a company. I mean, you can still be in control and have people just you know freely think, uh, freely converse, freely input information where it's needed, uh, freely criticize uh, whatever process that you came up with, uh, or freely deliver inputs to a new process that you want to implement, all those kind of things that we would like to have in a workplace. You can have all those things and still have a controlled environment. Sure, sure. You know, I think even... It might even be more predictable and more controlled in the sense where uh, it's just more. It's just a little bit more difficult. But you still have a better understanding of connections being made. If you have a monoculture, if you want to try to shape people into a certain uh, you know, copy of yourself being the CEO mm. or something, whatever then you think you create a perfect system. Mm. And it turns out it isn't. Uh, matrix, example. Yeah. When Agent Smith explains Morpheus about the Matrix, I said the first Matrix that we created, we created the perfect world. That's right, yeah. A happy environment, everybody happy. It failed. Crop after crop was lost because mm. of that. Mm. Because it just didn't function. Mm. For a while... And you think you have it under control, but there's an unpredictability to it that you can't manage. And when you introduce the chaos in the whole thing, that's when you uh, can see things happening and you adapt to it 
you know, it's not something that you, we, we don't at, at the beginning of the season just, you know, get everything flat, sew everything, and this is everything, how it's going to work. That's not how it works. No. You have to cultivate it the whole way through, mm. right? And some things will fail, some things will work better than expected. Mm. And we've got a great tomato yield because we did something else than that we did last year. And this is working perfectly. So, and we're doing it next year again, and then, <laughs> and then some, right? And, and that's kind of my point. I mean, it takes more work during the process. That, that's the key, isn't it? It's the attentiveness during the process. You can't just set and forget. You know, exactly. when you said you can't just sort of set it and walk away. Um, there is, again, it's that Goldilocks thing of doing it just right, because there is an element of you have to let things grow. You can't pull on them to make them grow. You've found, you found something to make the tomatoes be really productive. But it came through a little bit through trial and error, and you manage, this, you manage the environment right through the process. Yeah. Rather than setting your annual plan and going, well, that's it, and we'll just do that. Yeah, because the, the, the fascinating thing I like about complexity is that all the elements within the garden, say, interact with each other. They, in, they inform each other. They impact each other. So I've kind of realized this is my first year back at gardening, which things grow well next to each other and which things crowd the other ones out, and da, 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 which has been a great learning thing for me. So next year, my garden will look different. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the interaction of the things that are there that makes it challenging and I think scary for managers and HR folks as well because it's not just this is the induction, this is how we work, off you go. Yeah, here's like, the book. and One month from now, some things will have happened because everybody in the business will have interacted and created something or innovated and I think exactly. the environment, tweaking the environment I think is about addressing, again, it's about addressing deep causes. So for example, innovation, I think one of the inhibitors of innovation is anxiety. Yeah. So create an environment, and I agree with you, that there is an element of control. Because if you give no boundaries, no containment, no holding, if there's just a free-for-all, what I know about people, and also people when they get together in groups, is if there's no control or boundaries or structure, or why, people just get anxious. Because they don't know, they're confused, they're anxious. It's a bit exactly. like story, it's a bit stories of people getting called into the boss's office and getting a telling off and going, where did that come from? Yeah. Or the rules have changed. And this is the conversations I was having yesterday. The rules have changed by somebody upstairs and people going, but so you're telling me I've done this all wrong now? Well, I'm telling you now, yeah, but why didn't you tell me when the, you changed the goalposts? Creates anxiety. Anxiety just reduces our ability to create together. So that's, for me, a, set, a source of, you know, um, lack of innovation, lack of engagement. It's about yeah. what goes on between people. Yeah. So it is about getting that just right control. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm not a supporter of uh, just letting everything just. No, you know, no. Let it all go hang and out. see see Do what happens. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm utterly no, no. convinced that you need control. You need management. You need leadership. You need. Yeah. Uh, uh, someone who can take the, the tough decisions uh, yeah. because not everybody wants to do that. Mm. And, you know, all these kind of things you have to take into consideration. And But you, you have to be able to let it go at some point, you know, let it happen. And then uh, at some point you sit back and just let it happen and see what's what. And But then when something goes off the rails a little bit, then you adjust and then you bring it back. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people, what a lot of managers and, and HR do is they they at, at they start writing the book, and then that's it. And then once we've written 
all the procedures, then we take it from there, and then we follow the procedure no matter what. And well, that old, doesn't work. It doesn't exactly, and it's that old. It's that old um, construct of the performance conversation. You have it once a year. Yeah, that yeah. story that you told. You have it once a year, or maybe you don't have it, and you just hope that that once a year conversation sets people in the right track. Rather than the ongoing performance conversations that tweak exactly. and adjust I mean, course there's this, this on, on, um, on the internet, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a quite a, a viral picture where you have uh, the line, the, the, the road to success. That one, yeah. It's not a straight line. It's this scribbling line yeah. that eventually reaches a certain point. Yeah. And that's the thing. What they want to do is you have your yearly... Uh, whatever plan, whatever plan performance, you know, and they whatever. write everything down, and they, and then, and that's it for the year. That's your, that's your goal. That's where you're gonna go. For me, it never worked when I was in the IT because then, okay, we have this plan, and we're gonna do this and that and that and that. Okay, and then and then, okay, okay, and that's where you end up. Okay, sure. So now give me an assignment which is in line with the goal set in my review yeah uh not so fast because we have a job here that needs filling in right now and this is but but it's got nothing to do with the goals that set in my no but whatever excuse i was young i was a little bit ignorant you know but uh, you can't say no right well you could turn out but and then you go and do that job and it's got nothing to do with the path you're on uh study-wise so you you try to adapt to it and then you come back to it again and then it doesn't work and then you you try and then you get something that follows up on that and then you adjust to that and then you go that way again and then mm-hmm. yeah and then you go ah, okay and then at the end of the year you get a review and they go like hmm yeah that's right and they go what do you want from me if if you would have had me on those if if you would help me be on that path as management, then I would actually be able to reach my goals, but you would not do that. You had me deviate from it, and <sighs> oh, the frustration. Yes, I know. And there's lots of wisdom around this that we don't refer to. You know, a very wise Scotsman said something about the best laid plans. You know, men and it, and it's and it's um, of men and well, by some men, and it's and it, it's it is difficult. It is difficult because that kind of that overriding model we still have of an industrial world, of things are, you know, step one, this will happen, step two, that will happen. The conveyor uh, belt. Maybe. The conveyor belt sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And we really uh, would like to have uh, humans uh, adapt to that conveyor belt too, because it's, it, on the surface, it seems easier to control, it seems In- easier to predict. Well, I want to ask you about in, the 20, in 2015, do you think that that's still the case, that that's what we want? We want people to be controllable and predictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't. Yeah. And but I know the people who listen so? to this don't. And uh, many people that we know don't. But um, if I judge all the information that I get from 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 Lila working in Luxembourg, for instance. Aha, uh-huh, okay. Uh, yeah, they very much do. Oh, that they actually they actually want that to be the case. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because they're there to make money and not to make you happy. That's not their prime directive. I mean, mm. it's not about you. It's about their money, their assets, and making money as much and as quick as possible. 
And the two are mutually exclusive, making money and people being happy. They're in their minds, yeah. Never the twain I mean, shall meet. Yeah, no, okay. in, in their minds, absolutely. Okay. You can't have one without the other, and and they feel that any freedom that you give out to somebody cuts in on their bottom line, and I don't know any exact numbers, but I I dare to wager that most of those companies who work that way, mm. if we work with you and put it in a more structured way with, with people like Lee Bryant in post-shift and those yeah. kind of things, if you put those together, you can, I mean, the profit of that company would, I don't know, 20% more mm. just by, uh, uh, you know, having people stay where they are instead of, you know, have, having bigger retention, uh, employee yeah. retention, those kind of All things. All those other employee kind of engagement. engagement blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you come up with a certain product and you, you ask your your employees, you know, and they go like, I oh, know, I wouldn't do that because the clients that I talk to, you know, don't are not really interested in a product like that. But I was thinking about something like this, you know. So, I think... Yeah, in 2015, no. I mean, I think it's even more about money than it was before, actually. Mm. And um, I think with all the talk about crisis and financial crises and this and that, and I think the focus on, on economical gain uh, are even more prevalent than they were um, uh, a decade ago, for mm. instance. Um, which mm. is not a good thing. Um, so I think, yeah, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think, uh, I, I think people need it. People want it. You know, employees want it. I mean, they're becoming more aware. And uh, that's something that we try to do with, with the blog posts and the articles that we write and the podcast and those kind of things mm. to create a certain awareness for people. So I think the individual... If I know Lila, for instance, my wife, I mean, she would love to work in an environment like that, mm. where she's more appreciated, where she's respected, where her opinion is, is taken into consideration. Uh, I'm not saying that they always need to do exactly what, you know, what, you know, to have a conversation, to have an open discussion about the processes that you have to deal with. Sure, sure. And all sure, those kind yeah. of things. Absolutely. But management doesn't want it. It's it's complex. It's difficult. It's hard work, and the benefits are too long term to see. Too, you know. Because uh, you don't get you don't get the results in five minutes, sort of thing. Yeah. No, and as a, as a manager, it's something that you have to take into account to to, to people above, and 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 eventually, you know, talk about shareholders and those kind of things, and they're going to say, oh, wow, 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 wow. Everything is doing fine right now. Just, you know, just yeah. Let, I think it, let a couple of other people go in order to raise the margins a little bit and shut the fuck up. I think I think the the kind of including shareholders and and so on in the picture and and having also in the picture that maximization of shareholder value is the reason for being in business. I think in that case, I certainly I'd go along with you. I guess I was also reflecting on some of the chats we had with Kenneth and and Anna's. And they're talking about you know making a, helping folks to have a mind shift, and I think there is a there's a very deep shift in the basic assumptions that people bring. Mm. 
And while they still have the basic assumption of we're here to make money, maximize shareholder value, we've got the shareholders on our back, they need to see this you know, first quarter profits improve, all that stuff. I think that's the case. Absolutely. Yeah, the, mind shift, uh, the mind shift comes from thinking about um, well, a whole range of things. You know, I've, I've kind of gone to thinking about Doug's McGregor's theory X, theory Y thing. If you just assume that people are inherently work shy and they need a stick, to be motivated, that's the way you'll see them. If you think that people want to do well, that people can be autonomous, that people uh, want to feel successful, they want a sense of mastery and autonomy, um, you know, a bit like Daniel Pink talks about, then you kind of approach them differently. But they, I think the difficulty is connecting that idea with maximizing shareholder value because the easiest and the, the most, the handiest thing, the thing we've got quickest to hand is the industrial model of just take them, beat them with a stick discipline them, tell them make more money now. So that I think we're in this, I think that's where we, you know, I come to, we're in this stage of in-betweenness where the old, the old model is still very dominant. But the dissonance, the cognitive dissonance is when they go, we're, we're beating them with a stick harder, but their engagement is lower. Why is that? Yeah. You know? Well, beat them a little bit harder then. And then maybe they'll be more engaged. Yeah. yeah. It's the... Um, the difference between um, a company having an economical um, uh, desire, what is it? Yeah. Uh, and no social responsibility. And many companies don't yeah. have any social responsibility. I mean, even companies who, who have 150,000 people working for them with no social responsibility mm. whatsoever, mm. that scares the crap out of me. Mm. I mean, mm. they have such a huge responsibility to society and to... to Absolutely. Uh, and and, and on, a, on a global scale. Uh, and they just don't take it. They just don't, don't do that. And they just focus on the bottom line. And I mean, IBM is, I think, a, a classic example of... Uh, feeding the uh, the shareholders, um, you know, mm. creating specific programs to maximize shareholder uh, uh, profitability, uh, pff, yeah, or returnability or whatever. Yeah, sure, you know, go ahead. But I mean, the, the beautiful thing, and you write in your article, is you reap what you sow. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, it, what goes around comes around. I'm convinced of that. Mm. <sighs> mm. Yeah. On so many levels, you reap what you sow. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Mm. So for me, um, if I would reimagining work, I would consider individuals more, uh, take their personalities more. Yeah. Work with that in order to create. Uh, somebody who's simply more productive, not because we want them necessarily to be more productive, but we want them to be content with what it is that they're doing and the way they are doing it and um, show a little respect for people. So when you're looking at a garden and you realize what, you, what it is you want to sow, like you kind of look at the end process, you work backwards from that. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah, when we know the peppers that are going to be harvested, uh, I think in September or something. I mean, pretty late in the year. Yeah. So we start planning for them in February. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah. If we don't do that, we're not going to have any peppers. That's right. Yeah. Because it gets too cold and too dark, too yeah. short a day for it yeah. for them to actually produce fruit to flourish. Yeah. You know, so it's something that you take into consideration all the time. So that everything you've said just now is about reaping what you sow, like looking at what you want to sow and working back from that, take an interest in, in individuals and people. Um, learn a little bit about human psychology, for goodness sake. Understand a, little, understand a bit more about complexity yeah. and how elements of a system interact with each other and yeah. how humans self-organize. And, you know, so look at what you want to sow and work back as what do I need to do that? What conditions what will help me create those conditions? Everything yeah. that you've just listed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The only difficulty is that it takes more consideration and it takes more time during the process. And sure. I believe that many um, fail in that respect also with um, uh, real gardeners, people who, who try yeah. their... Uh, luck gardening um, many people give up after the first season because they just didn't get what they expected aha uh -huh. and um, so they didn't put in the effort or they didn't read the books or they didn't read uh, so and so dot com they didn't read Lila's website yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, but it's true I mean it's it's so you, you stick to a certain process because that's what you either think or somebody told you to do or whatever. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pop, 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 pop. And that's it. And, and you fail. And that can happen. Next season, you, 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 know, you determine what it is that went wrong and you try to correct it and you do it again. And that's the same thing what we need to do with employees. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out. So we adjust. Sometimes it does. Sometimes an employee just simply had a bad year, you know, and you, you can't punish him for having a bad year. You just find out mm -hmm. what it is that happened during that year and sit down with him, show a little bit of respect, show a little bit of empathy, show a little bit of compassion, have a conversation, see what's wrong, adjust whatever you need to adjust and get that person going again. And then when that person gets back on its feet again or his feet or her feet, they're going to be more loyal to your company and they're going to be more productive within your company and they're going to be more engaged in your company and they're going to be maybe talking more about your company as a positive thing to work with or for uh, than they were before. And it's not difficult. <laughs> so you're talking about learning being quite central to how businesses operate. Learning about people, learning, reflecting, like you said about the garden as well, learning what works. You know that employees don't even need to know that you're doing it. Mm. I mean, the plants here in the polytop, they don't know. They just mm. do what it is that they do. They just mm. grow. And they grow well because we create the right environment for them to grow. And we nurture them while they're growing. That's what we do. Well, it's like you do your job and let the plants do theirs. Exactly. It, they know. don't even need to know that we're there. They don't know. They just go like, hey, hey, my feet are wet. Oh, oh that's good. That's exactly what I needed. At this moment in time, I needed my feet wet. Yeah. And so employees don't even need to know that you're doing it. You know, they just need to know that, uh, like, a, like a good butler, for yeah. instance, anticipating your needs, you know, 
And that's what you need to do as a manager. If you create a certain, if you have a new project or so, you need to create a certain environment where that project can happen. Even if it's just creating a, uh, a workplace within a virtual uh, um, workspace, right? Mm. Something simple like that. You know, there's so many times when I got into a job, into a project, and there was nothing there. There was not even a workplace or there was no account or something like that. Those kind of things are just very basic, but it would provide me with an instant entry into whatever it is that I need to do. And had it been there, I wouldn't even have noticed that it was there. I would have just sat down and started working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it means that you can kind of get on and do your stuff. You just get on and do your job. They get on and do their job. Creating the, the right environment. Yeah, their job is to make sure and, you can and in do that, your and in, job. And in order for them to do that, look, they have to be open to learning as well. And le learning what works, learning what doesn't work. Yeah. Adjusting plans, like you keep saying, you know, it's about what goes on in the middle yeah. of the process. Adjusting course all yeah. along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a continuous process. The, the really good thing about what you write about as well is when you say success not guaranteed because equally if you take a controlled approach a highly controlled you know autocratic approach success is definitely not guaranteed either and i think that's one thing that people who take that that kind of you know i want to control people and classify them and box them and i want conformity there's an assumption that success is guaranteed yeah. if you don't if you don't get success well that's that's probably the people's fault <laughs> Yeah, because the process because I, is sound. I, I, I did everything right. The process is sound. I did everything right. Yeah, we we had the plan. We had the strategy. Um, yeah. So it's the people. We've got to discipline them, performance review them, get rid of them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Put put them in a cubicle. Tell them to shut down. Sit sit down and shut up. Yeah. 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 This this is the script that you have to follow, and that's right. Yeah, yeah do not yeah. deviate from it. Don't deviate. Yes. No. Exactly. Well, John, it's been over an hour. Has it? Good. Lord. It has actually. So it's it's again one of the longer ones, and um, um, it started out with discussing a um, uh, an article that I written the garden metaphor for your corporate corporate culture uh, and it was aimed at trying to make sense of uh, something which could be a little bit more or a lot more worthwhile mm -hmm. in your corporation than uh, um, the system that is in place and the processes mm -hmm. that are in place at the moment it's almost guaranteed I don't know but that's the way I see it <laughs> anyway um, we had a couple of small rants <laughs> during the podcast, which, well, you know, it always seemed to come up here and there because it's it, it when you see it and you all often um, mention that and you often come across it in your work, when you see it, you can't unsee it. That's right. Once you know how things can be, you can't unknow it. That's right. And... Um, uh, so sometimes it just gets a little bit frustrating talking yes. about this, knowing all the things, knowing all the energy that you wasted in your career, and 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 just by dealing with certain 
But, you know, I think through that, I, I sit and have these conversations with you and I learn a lot and it helps me to reflect and, and ponder and, you know, in my own kind of decision-making. And so um, I, I don't have a problem with rants, really. No, it's, it's, it's a great way to uh, express yourself mm. and to uh, sometimes actually come to a point if I manage it. And, um, but, yeah, uh, and sometimes when you get a little bit heated, you... you 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 come to certain conclusions and um which sometimes in 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 another way seem to uh be missed yeah so yeah but still we're gonna close for today close for today okay <laughs> um yes thank you for listening um, if you want to, oh no! If you if you want to, this is this is not a free choice. Subscribe to our newsletter or on iTunes. In either way, go to rwcast.com and sign up to something. Uh, so it's from me, Rocky Nord, and my good buddy, me, John Winger, in London. It's a good day for this time, and until the next time, goodbye.